in attendance and fans around the world. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Ready? Let's go, buckle up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome to Snapcast. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Episode one of Scrapcast. Uh, I am your host, Ace, as always, my co-host, Mr. Will. Mr. Will, how you doing? Good, man. Good, good, good. All right, so we want to thank everybody for being here with us tonight. This is our very first episode once again. Um, basically, what we have planned for y'all is going to be a overview. Uh, we're going to do a preview of the fights that are going to come, and we have some hot takes. So kind of vibe with us. We're going to get the feeling for this thing and uh, see how it goes from there. Speaking of that, you got, you got anything to say, Mr. Will? Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for putting this shit together, man. Um, yeah, couldn't get it done without you. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, always with you too. So let's uh, let's start with the overview. Um, basically, this last weekend we had a lot of good fights. Um, first and foremost, at the top is one on Prime Two. Um, man, I just you know really there was a lot of good fights on this card. Um, a lot of people that I wasn't aware of beforehand, and then afterwards. I was like, I definitely have to watch some of these some of these fighters. Yeah. Um, uh, Amir, who fought on the undercard or on the on the main card, Aliel Amir, uh, yeah, yeah Aliel yep. Amir, man, like nasty knees, nasty combinations coming out, just put the pressure um, on his opponent, took him out, TKO in the second round. I mean, I was I was really impressed with that guy. Yeah, it was a very impressive performance, and and I just got to say that whole. One card was was impressive. Um, everything they did, I like that they're on Prime, and I like that you get the change of pace. You get Muay Thai fights. You get kickboxing fights. You get grappling only matches. You get MMA matches, and uh, yeah, highlight of the card definitely the Halil win. He was no exactly, um, and another fighter that I really became a big fan of. Um, after the fight, or after seeing their fight, was Nong Stamp. Big, uh, big, big uh, fan of Stamp. Um, it was a uh, catchweight fight of 121 pounds, uh, kind of the co-main event. <clears throat> Man, uh, just all, all over her opponent, nasty elbows, um, just raining them down. She ended up getting the unanimous decision, but I mean, I was just, not only did she put on a really good performance, but then also on her way out to the ring, she was dancing, she was yeah. selling yep. it, she had yep. the whole character, you yep. know, and that's a big thing that I like about, um, you know, it reminds me of the Pride era, Japanese MMA, I mean, one is in Singapore, but the presentation, you know, yes. they bring out, I mean, not only does it have the Pride feel because <laughs> they bring out yep. the Pride announcer and she's, you know, that lady with her raspy voice is doing her thing and just screaming at people like, I love it. But they have the big over the top entrances with, you know, the fighters coming out beforehand, showing everybody. I mean, it's just the showcase. I think that's a big thing that the Western MMA um, is really lacking, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I know Stamp was on your radar before she was on mine. She's definitely on my radar now. But I watched a lot of the lead-up 
to that fight. And of course, her opponent's like, yeah, she can dance, but can she fight? Well, she got to go in there and see firsthand that fucking <laughs> Stamp can fucking put it on oh, you, dude. Oh, she can fight. Yeah. Man, I remember I remember in one of those rounds, she was uh, putting those elbows to her. Her opponent was on the ground, and she was on top of her, giving her those elbows. I mean, some of the most vicious yeah. elbows I've ever seen. Yeah. You know? It was oh, yeah. just like, I was like... I'm sold. I'm sold. Big stamp fan. Put the stamp I was, on it. I was sold on the dancing. Like, like I said, I hadn't watched her fight before then, but just based on the dancing, I was like, I like, I like her energy. I like, I like fighters that enjoy fighting. You know, those are my type of fighters. You yeah. know. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Not in there to, you know, win by points necessarily. Get in there. Get it nasty. You know, make it a fight. Big fan of that. Yeah. Um, and then there was the main event. Um, and. I got to be honest, I thought it was a really good main event, um, but there was some confusion, man. I, I mean, I remember we were talking about it, and, like, I was kind of confused as, as to, like, okay, Angela Lee uh, versus Zizong, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, there was, like, Zizong was a champion, but I know Angela Lee was a champion for a long time, and yep. it was going for Zizong's belt, mm-hmm. um, but... It, I was trying to figure out, like, what did exactly happen, how it was, and um, I was a little confused with that. I, I ha- I'll be honest with you, I haven't really been the biggest one uh, watcher before right. these Prime cards. I've seen some of them, but a lot of times they have them at, like, crazy times and, you know, over here in the U.S., and so it's really hard to watch it. Plus, like, where are you going to watch it? You know, like, watch it. That on- was the big thing. Where am I going to Where am I going to stream this? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So... And the fact that I've got Prime makes it so convenient for yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. And and I would I would agree. So not knowing either one of these girls, going in, watching the buildup, that they do. They start talking about the history. And, and it was. It was confusing. So I had to go in and I had to do the research. And, you know, they had they had both changed weight classes to go after the other one's belt. And they had both lost at the other person's weight class. Yep. And again, this was Lee trying to go after Zhang's belt. And uh, I mean, she didn't get it, but it was a good fight. It was a close fight. Close, really close fight. And yeah, I I would agree. I I agreed with the judges' uh, decisions that, uh, you know, uh, that Zhang, you know, edged it out. I really thought she did. I thought that she pushed the pace and kind of scored more in the earlier part of the fight. And then at the end, didn't put herself in a position to really lose that because Lee was coming on hard at the end. She yep. wasn't giving up. Yep. Lee took uh, Lee took massive punishment the first like three rounds, three or four rounds. She took a whole bunch of punishment. But then, you know, somewhere in between that fourth round, it was like, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then she just started coming after and coming after her. And I was like, wow, like... You know, almost like a Diaz sort of spirit, you know, like, so. Absolutely. So a couple of things I want to touch on again for the one events are the pride rule set Mm. that they've implemented. Because you mentioned it before, they're they're drawing a lot off of the old um, pride days, which both me and you as hardcore old school fight fans, I know I love. And so they are not judging these round by round. Uh, these fights are judged as a whole. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I I'm with you when I when I'm thinking about a fight as accustomed as I've been to drawing it up round by round. When I watch UFC, you don't do that when you watch a one event, right? And so when we're watching that Zhang Li fight, I'm thinking that's in the back of my head the whole time. It's like, yeah, maybe you can count up some rounds for Zhang, 
but the fight as a whole, I know. can you start thinking about maybe giving it to Lee, right? I know. I and, know. and how much does what you do at the end of a fight matter? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that, that brings up a great point, you know, MMA scoring. So many issues with MMA <laughs> scoring, the 10-point must system developed from boxing and all of the faults with that, you know. Um, we And we trust me, we will get into all of that in the future because no matter what, there will always be those kind of controversies that mm-hmm. come up and then we have to readdress it. But, um, nah, I mean, as far as, yeah, as far as, you know, with that fight and with the with judging a fight based on who won overall, it's a slippery slope. You know, on one end, it's like when you watch a fight, you have a good idea sometimes at the end. You're like, yeah, this person may have taken more punishment, but at the end of the fight, they really were the ones that had the will to win the fight, and the other person was like kind of done and kind of coasting. So you kind of see that, Mm -hmm. and that's one of those aspects that I like about that kind of scoring. The other problem is that that kind of scoring is always – has the potential to be very biased because if you're not having to stop and score it round by round and kind of add those up and kind of make the fighter accountable, then it kind of gets into that whole like, well, I think that, you know, and then it kind of gets into like this whole uh, subjective type of format. So that's a very good point. But I think the reason why I like it so much is because one of the problems I have with the 10 point must system is a lot of times barely winning around is judged the same as easily winning around exactly. right exactly. whereas when you're judging the fight as a whole you can say yes so and so had some periods some rounds where they didn't lose but the other person they had rounds that they won by a landslide and so instead of trying to count up all these points and figuring out what a 10 8 10 round is you can look at it as a whole and you can say, look, you know, so-and-so won this fight. No, exactly, exactly. And once again, it goes back into that whole point of if you know, if you have a good idea of what you're watching and you have a good idea about fighting, then the judging is a lot more credible. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the people that get in those positions, they're watching fights. And I'll tell you what, even me, somebody who's been watching fights for years and years, some days I'm just like, watching it and I think I know what I'm watching and then like, you know, I'll be talking, you know, with everybody about it or scoring it or whatever. And then later on, I'm like, man, I don't even know what I was watching. I don't even, I can't believe, you know? So it's like, sometimes you got your days well, this, where This is just, why I like comparing um, scorecards while we're watching fights. Like, yeah. me and you'd be like, yeah. well, I think so-and-so won this round. And you'll be like, nah, dude, totally so-and-so. And I'll be like, oh, fuck, all right, well. <laughs> or, you're totally full of shit. You don't know what you're watching. <laughs> exactly. I know, I know. But crowd control doesn't count for shit. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. No, and um, just once again, I mean, I'm like super, super uh, into the one on Prime Fights, um, one championship. I think they're doing a bunch right. Big thing I really like, besides all the other pride stuff that we talked about, soccer kicks to the head and yep. knees, knees to a ground opponent. opponent. Absolutely. It's a fight that is just an element of fighting. A lot of people here in the West don't like it. They think it's like super barbaric. And I think a lot of that has to do with the misassumptions, just like how for a long time the uh, 12-point elbows mm-hmm. were looked at as being super dangerous because there was the people that broke concrete blocks with those you know with those kind of strikes so everybody's like oh you can't hit somebody with that kind of strike not to know that a lot of that is finesse a lot of that is a certain type of you know it's it's not what you're seeing so much you know i i I agree in in the 
type of fighting that we want to see as fans, you really need to find ways to make sure you're not limiting the fighters as to what they can do. And, and that's really what removing soccer kicks and knees to bend opponent does. It limits the fighter in, in, in common positions that they're going to end up in, in the fight as to what they can do. And, and these moves, these moves are game changers. These moves are fight changers. You know, we just saw, um, Mighty Mouse get taken out by a, a, a grounded knee, something that never would have happened to him fighting in the UFC. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he was able to come back and get that win back, but with a, a with knee. A, with, with a, a knee to a grounded <laughs> opponent. Exactly. And if that is not fucking poetic justice, uh, I don't so know awesome. what it is, but so awesome. um, yeah. So another thing, I don't know if you uh, saw this on the one, um, on the one fighting card, but they, they issue yellow cards. Yes. Once again, another nod to the old exactly, writer. Exactly. Uh, for those of you that don't know how a yellow card works is um, if a referee determines that a fighter is either um, you know, lacking on the output or doing something that they don't like, they will issue a yellow card. It is looked at as a warning, and I believe, at least in Pride, you would lose 10% of your purse. So in Pride, that's how it worked. And, and my apologies to our audience for not doing more research on this before we came on, but... I did want to find out how the judges are supposed to score that because that how does that go into there because it should it absolutely should and and the guy that I was watching fight he ended up getting three yellow cards with the course of the fight and even though he was landing a better quality of strikes they were too few and far between hence which is why he was getting the yellow cards he was refusing to engage through so many different parts of the fight he ended up losing which leads me to believe whether or not he lost anything from his purse, it's meant to influence the judge's decision. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's a very good point, too. I I obviously realize that now that you say that, but then also when I'm watching it and with it being scored as an entirety, it's like if somebody gets a yellow card in the first round, even a lot of times if they end up, you know, I don't know, coming back later on, did it really matter, did it not? I don't know how much it is... Uh, plays a part into that, so that's a, that's a good good question. Maybe sometime we'll be able to ask one of those refs, you know? <laughs> right? No, and, and <laughs> or the judges. And I'll make a point to do some more research on that. But I think that's one of the brilliant things that Pride did was sure you can incentivize fighters in certain ways in fight with the yellow card, but influencing their purse, a fighter in fight knowing win or lose every yellow card he loses money. That's about as much incentive as you could ever give a fighter. I mean, these are prize prize fighters after all, right? So yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, so then let's move on to another event that happened. Well, which... before before we move on, I did okay. want to give a shout out to Fremenov because um, he fought Naguyan on that one fighting card. I thought he did a great job. I'm excited to watch him fight again. I thought he beat the shit out of Naguyan. I thought it was a great fight, and. Um, the other highlight for me on that was the Gregorian kickboxing match. That's what I was gonna say. Was yeah. that I thought maybe that was the one of the kickboxing, the Muay Thai matches. Was that a Muay Thai match? Yeah, I'm yeah, something that's yeah. fucking my bad. No, 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 but, but no, exactly. Yeah. No, and that's another thing, man, I love about not only one, but that whole um, you know, uh Pacific Asian style, man. They put on not only events from the visual aspect, but then they bring in, you know, there was a a jiu-jitsu fight on that card. Remember, it was the grappling a jiu- only. Yeah, grappling match, and it yep. wasn't. It wasn't great. I mean, it kind of was a little bit of a lackluster in the card, but there was so much high-level uh, combat uh, sports going on, from MMA to these Muay Thai fights going on. That when that happened, it kind of did a good. It was kind of a good like uh, 
you know, uh, separation between those fights to get you ready for that main event as opposed to just pulling through the whole time with it. I completely agree. I completely agree. And watching that grappling-only match, um, I thought it was going to be like a lot of grappling-only matches or uh, jiu-jitsu championships where if there's no finish, it's technically a draw until I realized it was for a belt, and then I realized they were going to have to give it to somebody. So they were going to have to find ways to judge it even if there wasn't a finish. Yeah. And and they gave it to... Um, Mike Musumeci, and I mean, I think he deserved it. No, I think he did too. I think he was trying to <clears throat> go for the submission, and that's the whole point of it, right? You yeah. either get the submission and you win, or it's a draw. So normally that's how those submission matches work. So then it's like, okay, obviously we got to lean it towards that guy. And and then he was calling out for uh, Demetrius afterwards, <laughs> and we kind of had a disagreement yeah. about this. I believe you thought it was a good thing. I think that right now Mighty Mouse is there like – especially after what we just talked about before with him losing in devastating fashion, coming back and beating the same guy Mm -hmm. in the same fashion to become the champion again. I mean, he's red hot, red Mm -hmm. hot. And I don't know if about taking him and putting him in a submission match, if that's necessarily the best uh, next step for him. Cause you kind of want to see, at least me, I kind of want to see him fight somebody else. But at the same time, it's like, it's just a submission match. So he could literally do the submission match, and then they could even, like, the next month he could have his MMA match, you know? Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. The one thing I've seen on some of these one events is they will do mixed rules matches where one round is grappling only and the next <laughs> round is stand-up or maybe even MMA. And that's what intrigued me about having that matchup because you could have round one be grappling only and see if see how Mighty Mouse looks trying to grapple with Mikey. Um, and then you can just throw Mikey into the deep end in round two and just be like, well, you had your shot. If you didn't put him away, then... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, as much as um, I, I kind of, you know, I thought that... Um, what was the guy's nickname? Darth... Darth something. You remember? I don't remember. But as much as I thought Mikey had a good performance... Was it performance, Darth Choke? Was it, no, it wasn't. Was it, it was Darth something. It was something that was, whatever, kind of hilarious, but kind of dorky um as much as i thought he did a good job i really think that if they did mixed martial arts rules like that i think that it would be in his best interest to have the submission round be the first one because i don't know how that dude can throw i don't know what is you know his combat sports um uh background is but fighting somebody like demetrius i mean demetrius johnson could be the greatest fighter of all time. He's up there as far as like on the top of the list. Skill so, for skill, he's got to be yeah. in your top 10, if not top five. Yeah. He's got to be. So, yeah. So that's my whole view is that if they if they do that, they better give the first round to jiu-jitsu because after that, <laughs> it's, it's going to be bad news. Okay, that, That's my own view. Uh, I, I would agree. I think round one would have to be the grappling round. But, uh, yeah, if Mighty Mouse makes it out of that, it doesn't look good for Mikey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. All right, so uh, if we're good to move on, um, let's talk about Bellator 286. Um, I got to watch it after the fact. Uh, uh Patricio, my bad, fought on it. Um, once again, here's here's somebody, and you know, Patricio, that is probably could be in the top three of the best featherweights on the world right now. Yeah, I would agree. You know, could be. Um, Because he fights in Bellator, his competition that he has is rather lacking. Not to say that the skill level isn't there, because there are obviously people there 
AJ McKee and some others that definitely give him a run for it, but he's not having to go through the gauntlet that he would be if he was in the UFC. So there's the whole speculation on it. Needless to say, <clears throat> the fight that he had against uh, Adam Borix was was good. I thought he dominated it, put it on him, won by a unanimous decision. You know, pretty much every round. Um, so, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to see the card? I did, yeah, and those are the two fighters that I wanted to highlight as well. And Patricio, for Bellator, was a two-division champ. He had 155 and 145, who won 55-pound belt, which he took from Chandler, mm-hmm. who's been a, a top-five UFC fighter since he got there. Yep. So that was a big win. And again, because Patricio is a legit 145-pounder, he's not a big guy. So for him to do that, I do think um, puts him up in that rarefied air and yes, he did lose to A.G. McKee. Uh, but again, I don't think that's a knock against you because I think A.J. McKee is just that good. No, no, I would totally agree. I totally agree. And speaking of A.J. McKee, he fought Spike Carlisle on the card. Him missing, him missing way beforehand, him getting this big opportunity. Then they got it out there and they had the fight. And I thought that the fight was pretty good. I thought that Spike was doing what he needed to as far as... Um, you know, um, coming straight at AJ, putting the pressure on him. Uh, I didn't think that he had, you know, necessarily the skill level that AJ did. He wasn't as, you know, refined as AJ was, but he was putting the pressure on him and he was hitting him with a lot of shots in the beginning and doing, and doing a good job. Um, it's just that, you know, AJ was able to weather that, get his composure, start to put it back on him. And, um, you know, I thought it made it look like, relatively a dominant performance against Carlisle. Not that he didn't do a good job. He did a good job. But, I mean, what, what, what did you expect? You know, that was kind of my viewpoint. Yeah, and just to play backseat fighter here for a bit, you know, I've never, I've never fought. I've, I've competed in different disciplines but never actually fought. So to say, to critique anybody's, you know, game plan, I'm sure might leave a bad taste in some people's mouth. But <laughs> this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it anyway. Um, being a guy like Spike and having to go fight a guy like AJ, that's how you have to fight him. He is more skilled than you. You have to bring the fight to him. If you, if you try to sit back and go point for point with him and try to fight that clean technical fight, you're going to lose. Now, when you take the fight to him, you might also lose, but that's the only way you're going to get the opportunities that you need to try and put that fight in your favor no i couldn't agree more the whole it's the whole additive the old school additive you brawl a boxer and you box a brawler yeah you know yeah absolutely yeah and and he did he had a good game plan he knew where his opportunities were going to be and aj mckee was good enough to keep his wits about him fight his fight and uh yeah i mean i didn't think spike was going to beat aj but it was good to see him try that was the whole point a lot of times you see these fighters go in there and you know, against an outmatched opponent, and you can tell in their mind they know they don't have it, so they don't really push it. But you, you've got to. That's the only way you're ever gonna. Yeah, no. Spike definitely looked like he believed it. I mean, he was mm-hmm. full force. He was taking punishment. He kept going. So, hats off to him. Yep. Definitely. Yep. And Green. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't uh, not agree with anything you said there. Um, did you get a chance to see the Aaron Pico fight? Uh, I mean, so that was one that I only watched highlights on again because. Uh, I was pretty sure Aaron Pico was going to take that fight, if not fairly easily. And maybe that's just me buying into the Pico hype. But, you know, he ends up losing, and he ends up losing by shoulder injury, and he didn't look that good. And he actually hasn't looked 
as good as the hype would suggest he should look against some of these fighters. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. I agree. I also thought um, Pico. He's shown, you know, in a lot of his more recent fights that he's developed those holes that he used to have with the game. And the problem is, is that he's, uh, you know, already has a long career from all of his time in wrestling, then to go into combat sports. And unfortunately, in that fight, it wasn't anything necessarily that his opponent did. Um, I mean, not that his opponent didn't do it, but I mean, what ended up happening was his arm got pulled out of socket or out of place and they tried to put it back in and they couldn't. And it was obvious that his shoulder was not level and they ended up not letting him fight. And you you hurt for the guy because, you know, like he's had setbacks. He's able to come back over his setbacks. He's able to, you know, reprove himself over and over. He had a lot of hype from coming in from uh, his wrestling career, uh, collegiate wrestling career. And so... You really want to see the guy, you know, do good, and he just can't seem to catch a break, and um, it was tough. But I mean, what are you gonna do, man? It's how it goes sometimes. That is that is how it goes, and uh, you know, knowing what I know about injuries like that, you don't want it to be as public a thing as it was for him in his last fight. You never want your future opponents to see that in a fight because that is a weakness. A shoulder becoming dislocated is something that could, again, become dislocated even easier. So anybody that tries to set up a shoulder lock or any kind of submission, you know it's going to be something they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know. I know. Um, um, so, yeah. So, But overall, even the Juan Archuleta-Barzola fight the, that started out the card, I thought it was a good fight. I mean, it was another unanimous decision, but good fight, evenly matched. You know, not a bad card by Bellator by any means. Um, then after that, uh, let's talk a little bit about Ryzen 38. So with Ryzen 38 and the Super Ryzen card, what they ended up doing was they took what would be a normal Ryzen card and they added a couple more fights and then split it into two fights because Mayweather had another exhibition. Yeah, um, I did. Yeah, I did hear about that. that yeah. Was... Yeah, so they had him, uh, you know, on the Super Rising card be the main event for it. And um, they also had, uh, as far as the co-main event of the Super Rising card, they had his bodyguard, I believe it is. It was somebody that's like a security for Mayweather. He had a fight, a boxing fight against um, another opponent, and he got knocked out in the second round. Uh, his security guard did, um, <laughs> which was awesome. Once again, love it, love the love the whole event style of it. It was great, um, but yeah. And then he headlined the Super Rising card, and um, yeah. And so, what 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 can you say um, as far as with the Super Rising card? Mayweather won the exhibition. Um, his opponent hit him with some good shots. Um, definitely put it on him, and. Uh, so I, I did get to see um, the highlights of that. Didn't realize that was the rising card. I thought that was like a Mayweather production. Yeah. That is what I thought that that was. But yeah, I mean, all I could see that as was another cash grab for Mayweather, right? Like he he's not putting himself in the ring with anybody that might actually challenge him no. skill for skill. No. And, and, and yeah, I did see that the guy landed some good shots on him, but... I, I don't feel like the ending of that fight was ever in doubt at any point. No, no. And Mayweather has come out and said that 
he, you know, is done with his career. He won't be fighting anybody that has the potential to hurt him. They talked about after this, after his fight against uh, Asakura, which is who Mayweather fought. Um, they uh, were talking about maybe having him fight Pacquiao. Pacquiao, because Pacquiao was there. Pacquiao was there. Yeah. And so they talked about maybe having that, and that's when he came out and he said, you know, I'm not going to be taking, looking to take any damage from anybody going <laughs> forward. So all these exhibitions are money fights, but I'm going to be... Pacquiao, you're out. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not on to the hot takes, but we might as well be. Um, so, uh, I mean, let's be honest here, okay? Mayweather... From his transition to Pretty Boy Floyd to Money Money Mayweather, that's exactly what he's been from that point on. Is it's always been about the money. It's always you know he's been super defensive. Uh, a lot of times he doesn't try to push for a finish or a knockout. It's working the shell, adding the points up. Super, and, and, and I'm not saying that that's not great. I give him a lot of props for it. There's a lot of skill involved with that. That's all. That's all great. But at the same time. You know, in the earlier part of his career, when he fought Ricky Haddon, when he fought a lot of these other, you know, fighters, he would take the fight to them, you right. know, and yeah. he hasn't done that in a long time. So for him to come out now and say, um, I'm only looking for money fights, I'm not surprised. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I think we were all way ahead of the curve on that one, Mayweather. <laughs> I think we all saw the fucking writing on the wall there. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And not only that, but I mean, no offense to Asakura, but I mean, at least here in the West, I mean, nobody really has any idea about, you know, Asakura, no, you no. know? And that's a big reason why Mayweather's taking that fight, you know, and he's talking about wanting to fight McGregor for the third time. That's a whole nother circus. We're getting more into the circus realm, further away from the combat sports realm. So I'm just going to end that there. That was the Thank end. Of, that was the end of the Super Rising. Thank card. you. Um, <laughs> as far as with the Rising 38 card, it was a pretty good card. Um, there was a lot of good fights, a lot of well matched up fights. Um, the main event of the card was uh, Horiguchi. Long time so, UFC. Yeah, so tell me about that because I've always been a big Horiguchi fan. Um, I think he's a great fighter. I know, like you said, he's had a long career, so maybe he's past it now. But yeah, um, yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah, he fought. Uh, he fought Yuto, and um, it was it, it was a it was a good fight. It wasn't very competitive overall. Uh, Yuto is known more for um, sort of heavy boxing, um, putting, putting, uh, you know, the pressure on his opponents and, um, his record is 14 and 12. So if he can catch you, he can, he can put it on you, but you know, he wins some, he loses some, you know, not, not a big thing. Basically they're just trying to find whoever they can to fight Horiguchi because that's their top fighter over in Ryzen. Yep. That's the one who has the most name. He fought yep. for a long time in the UFC, was a former title contender, we know who he is. There's a lot of other people around the world that know who he is. He fought um, in Bellator. Um, and so basically, he's in Ryzen kind of just taking fights and doing that sort of thing. Um, they did have him fight in Bellator against uh, Caldwell before they had a champion versus champion matchup. Do you remember when that happened? The Mighty Mouse champion versus champion or the Darren Caldwell? Yeah, Darren Caldwell. Darren Caldwell. Yeah, yeah. so they had him fight uh Horiguchi fight Darren Caldwell. They had him fight in Bellator um and in Ryzen and Caldwell won one of the fights. I think he won the one that was in Ryzen 
and then they had him refight in Bellator or vice versa. He won one of them, then Horiguchi won the second one. So after that, there hasn't been a lot of having him fight everyone else because um, Ryzen is really trying to just regain and get their foothold. I mean, Japan, not only through losing pride, uh, Dream, losing Dream, as soon as they started getting Dream going and all those fighters got gobbled up by strike force and UFC and all that. So, I mean, not only that, but then everything that else that's been happening in Japan, as far as with, you know, Fukushima and a lot of that kind of stuff going on, there's been a lot of rebuilding. It's been in a lot of, a lot of years of rebuilding their, uh, MMA, they still hold big events at the St. Thomas Super Arena. So, um, and their events, they're, they're good. They really are good. A lot of times I'll start watching the fight, not knowing who a lot of the fighters are and then watch it and you know just like the one kind of style and be like wow like I'm really interested to see some of these fighters fight again later so um it's great I'm a big fan of Ryzen and um we'll have to see what happens in the future but yeah um was a good card I stayed up uh late to watch it and that was kind of like a throwback to the pride days yeah and yep. and well not so much the pride days the pride ones they would do tape delays with american commentators afterwards over here at the same time but uh dream would be live from over there in japan sometimes they would have the new year's eve shows with um uh aki bumbaye they had um some stuff like that shockwave some stuff where they would do cross promotions with k1 and do those kind of events and, the, and those would be the k1 grand prix would be live from over there and so I would stay up like till it would start at like one or two in the morning, go to like five or six in the morning, you know, cause it's live from over there. And so, and it'd been, it'd been years since I had got to do that before, since I got to watch it. So it was live. It was kind of a big event. Got to watch it, kind of get that nostalgia factor. But, um, yeah, you know, it reminds me of like, uh, watching like those, uh, those dream tournaments because man, <clears throat> One of the very first uh, dream tournaments uh, that I watched live was the finals was Musasi versus Jacare. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah, and yeah. like, uh, you know, that ended with a upkick knockout yeah. by Musasi. And that was at a time when like nobody really knew about Jacare or Musasi, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, and that was one of those things is like, it's like not only is it an event where it was like a one night tournament, but then it's also like, crazy finish these both guys end up becoming big pillars in the sport i mean Musasi's still a pillar over there in bellator and um you know i think jacques ray's probably done now with his career but i mean all the years in the ufc and everything he's done there and so strike force yeah exactly so. yeah no and it's that that's why you watch these cards is because you never know when you're going to get the next Musasi versus jacques ray no exactly yeah and uh and i would agree with you i think japan has a, a little bit of a way to go but being a pioneer of the sport back in the day, they do need to build it back up. And if you can do that by feeding Horiguchi a bunch more Utahs. And I'll be watching. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, what's crazy is earlier today they had glory collision four, and I didn't realize it once again, not the greatest promotion by Glory. I love Glory. Love watching their fights, but it's always kind of hard to find out when it is, what time it's going to be on, where you're going to watch it. One of right. those kind of deals. Um, but uh, yeah, that was earlier today. Um, apparently, Alistair Overeem came, made his resurgence back to kickboxing, fought Badr for their third match, won after I guess what was a spectacular 
uh, third round. So I'm going to get a chance to watch it. But, yeah, that did happen. So got to recap that. Something I'm going to have to go back and watch as well. I mean, you might as well give it up to Uberim for being the freaking Iron Man of MMA because this guy <laughs> just does not die. No. Like, he does not fucking quit, man. He's been fighting forever. I mean, we, we're talking about pride. He was a pride staple back in the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And another big thing of going back to watch is I want to look at uh, Uberim's uh, physique. I want to see... Uh... How much of those um, supplements? How much of the horse meat he's fucking getting into? (laughs) How much of those, uh, you know, all natural supplements he's on? Wink, wink. So well, uh, and and Butter Hari was always one of my favorite kickboxers. I always liked watching Butter. In fact, to this day, if I ever feel like I'm in the mood for some highlights, I'll go and find some fucking Butter Hari highlights because that dude was nasty, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then to finish off the uh, recap session part of our show, we had UFC 211. So uh, UFC Fight Night 211. Let yep. me be let me be honest. Okay, it wasn't 211. Okay, we're past that. But UFC Fight Night 211. I guess it was the 211th Fight Night. Although I haven't been counting. But <laughs> Mackenzie versus Dern, we'll call it Fight Night. Mackenzie versus Dern. Um, yeah, good fight card. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Um, you know, me being the old school MMA fan, always interesting to see um, WMMA headline a fight card when it's a non-title fight, right? Yeah. Um, but but it was a good it was a good fight. Um, I I liked everything about it. I liked that they both had solid game plans. I liked that at different points in the fight, they were both able to implement their game plan. Um, a couple of times, Dern was close to a finish. Uh, you can tell that she needs to work on her striking. But on the other side of that coin, um, Jan had done really good work on her submission defense and her takedown defense and uh, controlling space and making sure she was able to land her shots. And yeah, I did. I thought it was a great fight. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, headed into the fight, they always say styles make fights. Jan being the, you know, heavy, strong wrestler type. Uh, Dern being the submission specialist. Definitely favored Jan to win the fight, um, you know, be able to put her in certain positions, be able to control her as long as you don't end up, you know, getting caught in anything. A lot of times it does favor the more stronger, heavier wrestler types. Um, so that was kind of my thought going into it. Um, great fight. I thought both ladies showed a lot of improvements in their overall game plan um, and, in, you know, their abilities. Um I thought Dern looked good. She just, you know, uh, I've seen um, some people talk about it afterwards that she, you know, still has work to do, obviously, but um, working on her ground and pound, big part of that, you know, getting into the uh, ground game on your back, working elbows, you know, doing all those kinds of things, being able to score more, being able to do those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that that's my overall view of it. I thought Jan was going to win. She did win, but still good fight. So going into it, I thought Dern would get it. I, I just thought being a five-rounder, I thought it was only a matter of time before she caught her in something. Um, Jan proved me wrong, for sure. Uh, but you you could tell. like A fighter like Dern, not only do you have to go to extreme lengths to find ways to get your opponents where you want them into your world, especially since you're not a stand-up fighter and all every round starts standing, the onus is on you to get there. But when you can't get it there, you have to 
you have to train those skills as well. You have to be able to be able to land punches when you're not able to get these fights to the ground. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, co-main event, Randy Brown versus Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah, uh, um, big ups for Francisco Trinaldo for still fighting at the ripe old age of <laughs> 40-some-odd years. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and Randy Brown, he's had an up-and-down UFC career. I, he's been on the the bad end of some highlight knockouts. Um, the one that always comes to mind, of course, is that Nico Price, uh, yeah. where he had him up against the cage right next to his foot and just hammer-fisted him and knocked him the fuck out. God, that was so sick. Yep, yep. Um, no, exactly. The, the Sadiq Yusuf fight was a hilarious mismatch. I mean, I feel like that's a dude they pulled out of the drive-thru and he <laughs> fought like it <laughs> because, I mean, it was such a huge mismatch. Um, so I don't even, I mean, what did that last? 30 seconds maybe? Yeah. Uh, very, uh, yeah. Yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Round one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, there was some other good fights on the prelims. Uh, uh, Latifi, Air Latifi, you know, uh, former contender, you know, former, you know, uh, uh, name in the sport. Um, he fought on there against uh, Lexi Olenek, another longtime veteran. So that we we had, you know, some of those type of field fights. Um, there was the Allen versus uh, Jaco fight that happened also. So and, I was really impressed with that fight. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And and that was one of the ones I was looking forward to. Uh, you know, every time we look at these cards, you look at fighters moving up, fight, fighters on the downslide. Like, where are people going to be after this fight? How are these matchups being made? What do they mean? Do they mean anything? And on some of these fight cards, yeah, there's a lot of these matchups that don't make a positive or negative impact on somebody's c- career either way. So as much invested in it but brendan allen um coming up he's on the ascension um christoph jaco good name to have on your resume ranked opponent um and and brendan allen took him out brendan allen even though he got taken down early he completely controlled that fight um he executed a very nice sweep off of his back took top position didn't give it up but ended up Ended up choking him out. So yeah, no, exactly. And that was one of those fights we talked about it before. But uh, <clears throat> you know, both guys, um, Allen surging up the top, uh, Jaco, uh, you know, kind of needing to keep the mo- the uh, momentum, keep going up top. Kind of both meeting at that at that prime moment. Them going at each other. Let's see what happens. And Allen was able to really pull forward there and uh, and get the win in a decisive manner. And uh, I mean just makes it look even great for him you know i mean yeah. both hats off to both fighters but yeah i mean brendan allen looking like somebody really you're gonna have to watch out for coming from uh, I, w- I would agree i'm excited to see his next fight i'm excited to see who they decide to match him up with hopefully he gets to continue to move up the ranks um and uh joaquin silva hopefully he gets to keep moving up the ranks too i was really impressed with his performance as well yeah, uh, yeah no exactly exactly and i forgot that he even fought on there um, so now that's going to bring us to the hot takes part. So real quick before we, we get to hot <laughs> takes, I, I, and I know it's, it's been a few weeks out, but I do think something needs to be said about 279. Yeah. Nate Diaz, 
Okay. Ferguson, okay. Kamzat, by, by all means, you Holland. have the floor. You have the floor. Um, I mean, there were some good fights, but, but boy, was there a lot of interesting circumstances surrounding this fight card. And, and there's a lot. We'll, we'll leave those parts to the hot takes section. Um, but just based on the fights, um, Kamzat looked very impressive. Um, I expected Holland to put up more of a fight than that. I knew his weakness was the wrestling, but I didn't see him going down like that. Um, the Diaz-Ferguson fight was a good fight for as long as it lasted. I'm glad Diaz got the win. And uh, heavyweight fights, not always entertaining, but how fun was that Jake Collier and Chris Barnett fight? I know, I uh, know. Like, Collier almost knocks him out probably multiple times in that first round. And Barnett had all sorts of weird stuff going on with his face. His face looked all fucked up. Like his eye wouldn't, you know, stay open. His mouth wouldn't stay closed. <laughs> it was all sorts of shit going on. But he ended up he ended up coming out with with the TKO, and um, hats off to him. You know, yeah. I like watching Chris Barnett fight. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I thought that you know really. Um, to mirror what you just said there, Diaz being able to go out in that type of way, I thought that him versus Ferguson was the better matchup for both of them oh, in yeah. their careers oh, where yeah. they're at. <clears throat> um, and to see a fighter that has not only been there and fought so many fights before, um, but also in both of them, but also, um, you know, it's been notorious that Diaz big part of the whole issue that he has with the UFC is he came off of the ultimate fighter. He was on that ultimate fighter contract. So, and I don't know if they still do the contracts like this or not anymore, but I know that for a long time, if you fought on the ultimate fighter, you would then sign with a contract where like something like six or eight fights, you would sign a contract. And for those six or eight fights, you would fight at 20 and 20, 20,000 to show 20,000 to win. So, they're, you know, not making a whole lot of money, especially with the name value that they're getting from the show and then the name value from continuously winning or fighting in the UFC either way. Um, and so he was on one of those contracts. He had a lot of disputes with the UFC because they'd put him in main events and he would only be getting 20 and 20. Well, and that's a long time to go without being able to renegotiate your worth with a company. Eight fights? Man. Exactly, exactly. And this is, a, this is also at a time where they weren't having fights every weekend. You know, they would have like a couple fights yep. a month, yep. but I mean, it would just be, there'd be less fights throughout the year. There was less time to make up th- those fights. So it took up more time for those to get all those fights done. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, most of his career, he fought at 20 and 20. So mm-hmm. needless to say, after he had the big McGregor fight and he made that happen, he's been totally on the, you know, fuck you, pay me bandwagon. And uh, I'm all for it. I mean, I think more fighters need to do that and, and hold the UFC accountable, be on the top promotion, you know, make them pay their fighters what the just is. That's my own thing. We don't need to get into that necessarily. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, that was a great way to go out. You don't always get to see that. The UFC wanted it to be, you know, Chamaya versus Diaz, which I don't think no matter what would have happened. I don't think it would have went down that way. I don't think that it would have went down that kind of, you know, easy entertainment, like back and forth kind of fight like we got with Tony. Probably would have been decisive one way or another. Probably would have been, you know, first round either way is kind of how I'm thinking. I mean, more than likely it would have been Shmaev, but who knows? That the uh, 
you know, uh, guillotine that he got on Ferguson. He said that that's what they were practicing. Maybe he would have been able to get Hamzad in it if he would have went straight for it. I don't know. We None of us will be able to know. But at the same time, all things considered, you know, Chumayev looked like he would have um, really taken it to Diaz. So, and being an older fighter, um, it's nice to see once in a while an older fighter get to go out versus an older fighter both kind of get the rub instead of uh, sacrifice to the younger lines. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was the best matchup you could have come up with for either one of those fighters. It's a matchup we probably should have seen before now, and it, it was it was a good fight. You know, um, we got to see both of them. Yeah, maybe both a little bit past their prime, but still an entertaining fight. Um, I'm with you. Glad Diaz got the win. Glad it was a submission win, and. Yeah, I mean, I hope he, I hope he gets to make money in his future endeavors because he deserves it. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, we will be talking more about the hot takes and um, around circling around that, and we are going to get to that. But real quick, one more thing that one more event that happened that I wanted to bring up was uh, uh, BKFC's card. They had right, a card, right. uh, BKFC thirty, right, and right. Um, the main event of that was uh, Hunt versus Henry. Uh, Hunt is the uh, light heavyweight champion, okay. and um, they had a fight. Henry's a notable. I'm sure if you've seen BKFC, you've seen the guy with the uh, the curly mullet kind of looking haircut, the curly Chuck Liddell haircut with the American uh, flag shorts and stuff. He's fought in a lot of fights. They fought. Um, did you did you get to see this card? I did not. Okay. I did yeah. Not. No. Well, I, um, let me just recap a little bit. So. Um, in the fight, at the very beginning of the fight, um, Hunt came straight out after Henry, and Henry looked like looked like a questionable down. It looked like he went down from like a trip sort of thing, okay. and then when he was on the ground, he took a punch. Now I'm not a fighter, I, I especially a bare knuckle fighter. I don't know what the you know how heavy the punch really was, but everybody watching it, it looked like it wasn't. Very hard of a punch. Even the uh, the commentators, Chris Lytle, was saying, yeah, that doesn't look like a very heavy punch. And Henry kind of flattened himself out afterwards and kind of laid there for a little bit. And it was a little questionable about what was really happening. Luckily, all the controversy aside, they were able to get him back up. They got him to re... They got to re-go again. It, hap- it went for another couple of rounds. And Hunt ended up uh, beating Henry and uh, retaining his title. Good fight. On the on the co-main event of that card, though, was Ben Rothwell's big Ben. Yeah, was him making his BKFC debut. Um, he fought a guy named O'Banion. Um, probably fought before. I've watched quite a few BKFC cards. Didn't really know about him, but at the same time, know about Ben Rothwell, Big Ben from oh, yeah. the IFL days, Affliction, yep. all that stuff. UFC, you know, all that great stuff. Who's like Big Ben? Exactly. Great so, character. So watched him. Um, just decimate that guy. He came straight out <laughs> after him, put together, kept his range, put together like, you know, the two-piece in the soda, bang, 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 bang. That guy went down. He was not getting back up. So I'm really interested to see, especially with already the heavyweights that they have, excuse me, in BKFC, um, they have, uh, you know, they're, they're, they haven't announced it yet, but they've been talking about making Alan Belcher 
versus the champ of BKFC for, for the title. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm waiting to see that because Alan Belcher looks like he's a world beater. Right. And we could very well have... Yeah, he does in BKFC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we could very well have maybe him versus Big Ben for the BKFC. I mean, that's one thing I really like about BKFC. It's kind of like uh, the Western, you know... Uh, uh, event circus type fights. We get to see some of these fighters that we don't normally get to see fight each other. Uh, one of the last BKFC cards that they had was um, MVP versus um, what's his name? Um, Mike the guy I can't remember that guy's name either but I, I, I Platinum do. Perry. Yeah, Mike so they had they had they had they had MVP versus Platinum Perry, and that you know once again that's one of those fights that, I mean it's like a video game style fight. It's not a fight that you normally wouldn't get to see. We got MVP and Bellator still in Bellator, still signed with Bellator, gets to come over have the BKFC fight against Platinum Perry, who's just made a switch over there. So you get to see two fighters from different promotions having a fight in a new sport. Uh, under different rule set, good fight was pretty back and forth even, but um, but yeah, man, I, I've I've been a big fan of BKFC. Not so much their promotion of all their you know uh, police titles and whatever with that. That's my own thing. We don't need to get into that. But but needless to say, needless <laughs> to say, BKFC they're doing a good job, and I'm really interested to see, especially now with Ben Rothwell looking the way he looks. Their heavyweight division, they're gonna you know Joey Beltron's in there. They have. Um, other fighters so it, it's going to be interesting so one of the things I, I always thought was interesting about bkfc is i do think it fills a legitimate niche because i do think there are fighters i think uh mike perry's a good example um of fighters that do better in a bare knuckle type situation you know uh it's a different strategy. It's it's different technique. There's no gloves. You know, you really have to be careful. It's not MMA. There's no tank downs or any of that. Um, so I do like I do like what it does for a lot of these fighters. And like you said, the cross promotion, that's that's always nice. But the Rothwell signing I thought was super interesting because Rothwell's a legit MMA fighter. This guy has nasty submissions. Great ground control, nasty ground and pound, and he can throw down. So that was really surprising to me that he ended up in BKFC because I've seen this dude pull some nasty front chokes that are like bulldog chokes that you can't usually get a lot of people. Who who did he choke out? Was it Josh Barnett that he choked out with a bulldog choke? I think so, yeah. I, I, I remember him choking out. A couple different people. I remember him winning in the UFC, choking somebody out with one of those front chokes, grabbing him, pushing him up against the fence, choking yeah. him out, kind of lift him off his feet, and then he did the whole famous like evil villain laugh and stuff, I you do. know, I love personality. That. I do. Um, no, I, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, do you want to take a break? No, I'm good. Um, Hot takes or previews? Hot takes. We're going to cool. hot takes. Hot takes. Yeah, and then we'll end with previews. It's hot. These are hot, guys. <laughs> All right. So um, with the hot takes, uh, let's just start off with the UFC Fight Night 211. Um, they had no fans and no news media at the venue. Uh, one of the only events to have that happen that wasn't 
COVID that wasn't caused by COVID. Right. So really interesting um, what the circumstances were behind it. A little bit of a background for those of you that may not know. The UFC, uh, Dana White, the president of the UFC, was asked a week beforehand by the news media, hey, why are we not allowed at this next fight night? Uh, why is there no fans allowed at the next fight night? Dana White gave him a real nonchalant answer, just t- telling them basically that, you know, he was doing it for them, that they <laughs> needed, you know, that they could take a weekend like, off I and can't. be with their family and yada, yada. <laughs> and ridiculous. none of them bought it because no. they asked him like three or four different uh, journalists kept asking him, pushing the question like, no, what really, what really is going on? He wasn't going to give up any any of it. And then Ariel Hawani had tweeted that um, it had something to do with Mark Zuckerberg renting out the arena. Dana White on an interview said that was all bullshit, that there was no truth to that, and it was all lies. And then at the event, we got to see him hanging out with Mark Zuckerberg at the event. So what, what, do, you, what do you make it? What so, do you make yeah, it? no, there's a lot, there's a lot to un- unpack here. Um, first of all, the media doesn't work for Dana White. So he's, it's not really on him to give them days off. Oh, so I feel like that's, that's a huge 100%. load of fucking bullshit. 100%. Um, and, and, and we know that he doesn't care about the media anyway, yeah. whether or not they get a weekend off or get to hang out with their families or not. Like, such bullshit. So, um, so yeah, in true Dana White fashion, he gave probably one of the worst answers you could ever dream up to, to try and cover that. Um, but then we all saw exactly what what did happen. Mark Zuckerberg and his wife were there. Nobody else was there. Now this wasn't like an arena. It was the apex, yeah, right? True. So it's true. not like there's a ton of seats anyway. But aside from fighter personnel and in-house UFC media, there was nobody else there. And it, just knowing what I know about Mark Zuckerberg, that's right up his alley. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, hundred uh, percent. That's that's exactly his fucking speed. So it, it makes so much sense, almost any way you look at it. Yeah. That that's exactly what happened. He gave Dana White a shitload of money to get a private showing of some UFC fights. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, and then there's other levels of that too that I want to expand on. Um, for some reason, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, all of a sudden recently has come out and done. Um, sort of promotional type stuff as far as with MMA. He's posted mm-hmm. that he's been training. They mm-hmm. put out training videos. He's gone whenever there's been uh, events and literally tweeted back at every fighter that won, like, oh, I'm so great. I'm so glad you, you won. I look forward to seeing, like, real, like, cut-and-dry, cookie-cutter type fucking answers. And um, then this whole thing with the event being rented out or not being rented out or whatever the fuck you want to say and him being you know one of the only people in there i mean my question is like what's really going on like is he are they trying to get some kind of co-venture is are we going to start seeing ufc only on meta like is it going to be like the metaverse and you're only going to be able to watch certain ufc events through the metaverse like what the fuck is really going on here? so i hope there's no exclusivity going on in the near future. However, and not that I'm a fan of Zuckerberg or Facebook or any of this, but I could see it being an interesting gimmick to be able to maybe pay a little extra to watch a UFC event in the metaverse like you're actually there. Yeah, yeah. Right? I could see people paying 
uh, some extra money for that. So you don't. I mean, maybe it's not as much as a ticket to the actual event, but instead of just watching it on your 4K high def TV, you get to watch it in the metaverse, and maybe you get this VR type experience. Maybe it's maybe it's the next level. I I can see that. That's a good point. Being somebody who's been to an actual UFC <laughs> event and an actual stadium UFC event, um, John Jones uh, versus. Uh, Quinn Jackson in Denver. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, they're great events to go to, but there is a very, very small section of seats that are worth the money that you're going to pay to sit there. If you're not right up front cage side, or if you're not, you know, seven or eight floor or seven or eight rows back, kind of above the octagon looking down into it, you got shit. Yep. The site is shit. You spend so much money, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, thousands sometimes, mm-hmm. to just look up at the Titantron and watch from Titantron because you're not only are you trying to watch <clears throat> MMA fighters fight through the cage and the poles in the cage, but then you got the camera guys up on the poles yep. looking down. Into, I mean, so many obstacles to try to see it. So unless they're going to have some kind of thing where you get like the ref cam or if you get like, I mean, I'm just saying. If it if it is that kind of way, I'm probably good anyways because uh, <laughs> they're not they're not the greatest. They're, the events that are great are the ones that are in the not the huge stadiums, but the you know like smaller style mm-hmm. st- stadiums. Um, I got to go and see WEC when it was in Broomfield when um, uh, Jose Aldo fought Manny Gamburian. That that was a great great yeah. event. Not it was like perfect size. A lot of people in there. There was a lot of good seating. Once again, we sat right up, you know, being able to see down into the cage. Great. That I mean, anything bigger than that is is just well, a waste. So that's why I like to go and watch a lot of these regional shows, is because that's exactly how it is. Not only are you not paying top dollar for it, but you're getting a much better viewer experience because you're closer to the action. And yeah, there isn't fucking twenty rows reserved for millionaires right up at the front. You know what I'm saying? And and I would say this goes for a lot of major sporting events. Um, you know, the comfort of my couch and my 4K high-def TV and my surround sound and my beer and my Being food. able to get up and go to the bathroom <laughs> when you, know you want to. Being able to cook. You can barbecue. You can have, you know, some friends over. Everybody has the same view. It's not, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some great things about seeing some UFC of events. We can get, I can get more into this probably later, some of the positives to it, especially depending on, if you sit next to fighters and their families and when stuff happens and being able to see that, there's some great stuff with being to a live event. Don't get me wrong. But by and large, mm-hmm. much better watching it at home. Yep. No, just I just totally how it agree. is. Um, <clears throat> and then piggybacking sort of off of that was uh, what we were going to get to before UFC 279 and the whole rumor war between Dana White and Brendan Schaub and their ever-ending, never-ending saga of, of combat, right. um, ver- verbal combat, but also Pat Militich getting involved with this. So, um, yeah. So, so let me do a little background on this. So you get the main card fights set for 279, and you could argue some questionable matchups, right? Certainly as far as the betting lines go, some questionable matchups. Whether And again, something we can talk about in the future whether or not Dana White goes out of his way to give exiting fighters the big fuck you. Um, 
in my opinion, that's a big yes. And so I, I do feel like that's how he was treating the Nate Diaz situation. Without a doubt. The Francis Ngannou situation. Francis Ngannou without, situation. We don't need to go further, but yes. No, but so it, again, long history of evidence to suggest this is how he likes to, to treat these type of fighters. And so what, what happens is Kamzat is not even close to making weight. And which puts Nate Diaz in the exact position that Dana White does not want him to be in to have leverage. And then you have whatever fucking kerfuffle happens backstage with all these fighters getting into the shit together. Then there's canceled press conferences. Whether or not there was ever going to be a press conference at all to begin with is up for debate, right? They could have just said, hey... You know, we're just not going to do this. And so we need some we need something newsworthy to say why we're not doing it. And so this is what we're going to come out with. And then the end of it all, once Kamzat doesn't make weight, you have, what, 24 hours to string together what did it end up being. Um, I mean, four fighters, two different fights had to be switched around three. for different opponents. Three, yeah, three fights. Yeah, six all, all six fighters. All different opponents, all new contracts, all within 24 hours. People that actually did bust their ass and put in the work to make weight. Um, all to shift around for somebody that, for from what I can tell, didn't do anything to even try to make weight. I mean, 178. That's not even fucking close. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, no, I mean, you got a lot of good points there. Um, I w- I just wanted to clarify. Obviously, they were going to have a press conference because there was a full stadium of people there so they let all the people in there to have their press conference they don't want to get 2,000 people in there and then be like fuck y'all you know what I'm saying so they don't want necessarily to do that I mean you know what I'm saying right but at the same time I agree with what you're saying because um Hamzat had got there you know probably a week a week before Mm -hmm. and they had asked him what you were on and he was right at that same weight a week out Mm -hmm. so what was really going on you know um well and then you've got people and this is one of the greatest things about social media even though I'm not a big fan is that you've got people seeing him out in restaurants <laughs> eating like he doesn't have a care in the world yeah. he's drinking he's mixing it up he's not concerned about anything nope and on top of that so then the whole event right you miss weight the whole card has to be re reset up everything happens then after all that there's all this talk of oh well he's gonna have to stay at he's gonna have to go to 185 all this and that and now they're like hey I mean what does he want to do does he want to go to 170 he go to 170 does he want to go to 185 even if okay and Dana White's a promoter he's not in the business of being honest and telling the truth he's in the business of selling fights however that happens and he fucking lies and bullshits all the time okay that's just part of what he does so let's we are that's nothing new but the thing is is you know. This idea that was really spearheaded by Brendan Schaub and Pat Miletich is, could they have orchestrated something so that you have a main, you have a pay-per-view with no title fight on it, yep. and it ends up creating so much controversy that they end up making it one of the top grossing pay-per-views of the year? Is there any, you know... Um, is, is is there anything that could have that could have helped to, to have that happen? There and and to be completely honest, I mean, you know, I think Brendan Schaub did a good job of saying afterwards of, 
you know, Dana likes to say that Dana was saying that I'm crazy because I'm saying where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, there's smoke there. And not only is there smoke there, but then the actions that Dana White goes even afterwards, like we talked about with this fight night where he literally goes out there and tells everybody when the information comes out, no, it's bullshit. Those are lies. And you end up finding out, no, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole problem with being a liar. If you're going to be a habitual liar, then when people come to ask you, oh, is this how it is? You could tell, you could tell us whatever you want, but, oh, we're, yeah. but we're going to be like, uh, it's probably bullshit. Yeah, no, so, I, absolutely. It's, he's so consistently like that. You, you can almost see exactly what's going to come of things like this based on what he says. You know, when they asked him about the whole 211 thing and the, the Facebook thing, as soon as he came out with that answer, you knew. <laughs> like, oh, so we're, we're right on here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. I know. You know, and, I know. And, of course, and, and of course he gets to, you know, say, well, no, I didn't give anything away. I didn't say anything. But because of his history, he actually is giving it away by, exactly. by doing that. It's... You know, it's, it's like the old saying, you can always trust a dishonest person to be dishonest. Exactly. Like, it's, that's, that's how it is. And that's exactly how it is with Dana White. And, uh, it, you know, getting into full conspiracy mode here, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that's exactly how it went down. Yeah. You know? I, I wouldn't be surprised. My own viewpoint is, I don't know. I, I mean, part of me feels like, you know, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to do that. But the other part of me is like, hey, like if if there's, you know, if the money makes sense, then it makes sense kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't put it past him. And the biggest thing about this whole thing that I feel like the only thing that really was the foul of it all was that poor Lee, right? Poor yep. Zhang Lee. Yep. Not only did his opponent get switched for an opponent that's 10 pounds heavier than him. Yep. But then also, he a lot of people feel like he won the fight and I, lost I the decision, so yep. he kind of got screwed twice. Yep. So that was the only like upsetting, really upsetting thing. That was the only too bad thing about the whole thing, regardless of the rest of it, of whether it was planned or not, or how much of it is planned or not, or you know whatever else. I mean, I don't care. I was totally invested in the fight. Once the once it all happened, I was even more invested in it. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to see what happened. I liked the either the actual or the just the idea of them switching up stuff beforehand and nobody knowing who's, who, there's gonna, who they're going to fight. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that, all that aspects of it. But it sucked for Lee because, you know, he did everything he was supposed to in both <coughs> the fight and the way up to the fight. And uh, he, too bad. He, he does. He ends up with the short end of the stick, unfortunately. And I would agree with you. I thought he won that fight as well. And, and I'm not coming out here saying that... Um, I think it was their intention from day one when they signed the the fight agreements with Camzet and Diaz to make it end up this way. What I think is more likely is that since Camzet is one of their new cash cows and they want to do everything they can for him, when he came to them a week or two weeks out and let them know that he wasn't going to make weight, that's when I think a lot of this started to... Started to train, and a lot of this started to come to fruition. And I do think they knew full well that if they treated it like they treated it, it would garner a lot more interest and a lot more and a lot more views. I I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. No. I mean, it's a good point. Speaking of UFC 279, one of the fighters that didn't have a very spectacular performance on that card was Kevin Holland. 
um, kind of got ran through real real quick. He yeah, that was is the next subject on our hot takes because he, after the fight, said he was retired. He's like, I'm done. I made some money. I'm done with this. He was asked in multiple interviews, are you sure you're done? Are you sure you're done? Yeah, I'm done. I'm retired. You know, probably for a, a week or two. And then literally right after one of the interviews, the very next day, boom, he's got a new fight. He's, he's going to fight uh, Wonder Boy yep. in the UFC. And then he tweeted out, you know, uh, some kind of in, very interesting tweet, just the aspects of I never left boss at Dana White. So what do you make of this? So I, I, make, I, I make a lot of this. So I think that Dana White, as a promoter, um, you know, the, the matchmakers whose names Sean Shelby and the guy whose name escapes me at the moment, um, I think they are good at what they do. I think they're good at their jobs. And unfortunately, I think they only really come up with good matchups when push comes to shove like this. And I think that's kind of the position Holland put them in because how good of a matchup is that for both of them? Neither one of those guys wants to wrestle. They both want to stand and strike, and it's going to be a good fight it's going to be a good fight to watch. Holland's a good striker. Holland's Holland can you know can bang, and Wonder Boy's very technical as long as he finds a way to actually pull the trigger. And I I don't think Holland liked the matchups that he was getting. I don't think he liked looking at the landscape at 170, and especially after the Camzat fight, seeing who he was going to have to go through to get there, and knowing that wrestling was his weakness. And so I don't think he did it to get better matchups. I think he was serious. I think he was just like, you know, I'm not so invested in this that um, I'm going to go through all that and ruin my record and just get beat up when I don't feel like I have the chance. So he comes out and says he's retired. But I think that pushed the matchmakers to be like, hey. Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. Mick Maynard. Let's actually find somebody that he will agree to fight and let's offer him enough money that he will he will take this fight. That's what I think happened. And and I think maybe one of the stipulations was Dana White has to come to him and you got to be like, "Hey, so you got to you got to send out a tweet. You got to be like, you know, ha ha, it was all, you know, <laughs> I, I I never really left, you know. That yeah. that's how I see it. And I could be totally wrong, but No, no, and I and I'm telling you, man, the more that stuff is happening more recently, the more it's looking real WWE around there, okay? Yep. It, it's looking. Yep. Yeah. And, and the <laughs> thing about it, too. the thing about with the WWE, what Connor showed us, what his great, you know, uh, uh, acknowledgement to the sport is that uh, if you can create that element, if you can adapt to it and bring in that WWE, anything can happen, spontaneous, whatever, scripted type, you know, thing, if you can bring in that feel to mixed martial arts, you make big money. There's big money to be made there. There, you know? there is. That's the whole marketing, selling, all that kind of stuff, you know? And so, and so, yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Who knows how much of it is one way or another? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, definitely interesting with Kevin Hall and uh, on retirement. The other thing that we got to add about this to, not, to kind of, you know, show is that, like, he, he faced Hamzat, who just decimated him with wrestling. I, I mean, definition of running right through something. Yeah, literally yeah. with wrestling. Just wouldn't let him... I mean, he tried to do everything he could to get out of that. Yeah. He couldn't. He just got totally big-brothered by Hamza in the wrestling department. 
And then, uh, you know, maybe that was one of the reasons why he retired is because he not only did he get beat like that, but it just goes to show to everyone else, all the other fighters, how big of a weakness he really has when it comes to wrestling. Not that Hamza isn't one of the best wrestlers. He's, he's I mean, he's got to be you know, top in the division, one of the best, you know, all of that. But at the same time, you have this blueprint for how to, like, totally run through this dude. So maybe he's like, you know what, I don't want to, I'm old enough, I don't want to spend the next 10 years just working on wrestling, wrestling, it's not maybe my forte, maybe that's why he has such a weakness to it, to beginning, in the beginning, and so that could be part of it, um, and his fight, his next fight is against Wonderboy, mm-hmm. another fighter that has said, don't give me another wrestler, I only want to do a stand-up it- fight, so we'll have to see about after this fight, if Holland, you know, only takes stand-up fights, or if he will go back to being retired or whatever, because there could be something to be said for that. Th- there could be. But again, like I said, look at the landscape of 170 right now. It's wrestler heavy, you yeah, know? Sure. Um, and so in, unless you get some very favorable matchups, which doesn't usually happen unless you're getting the big UFC push, yeah, it's it, it's a hard, it's a, it's going to be a hard run for, for anybody to get up there. And for as good as wrestling as Kamzat has, I think what really stands out to me is the power you know uh, Brunson's a good wrestler Brunson's technically a good wrestler and he had a harder time with Holland than Kemzat did but Kemzat is I know he looks powerful he looks strong but he's even stronger than he looks 100% 100% I mean just think about what he went up to uh, middleweight and fought uh, Gerald yeah Mershart. Gerald Mearshart yeah, yeah, and, and, and just you know yeah. Put it on him. One punch, right? It was one punch. It was the only strike thrown in that fight, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. So, no. And, and, and so all things considered, he's actually looked better at 180 and above than he has looked at 170. Yeah. And maybe that's from the weight cut. Maybe that's maybe there's some more technically skilled fighters because he went life or death with Gilbert Burns, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And the only time that he got a takedown on Gilbert Burns, not only was it tough for him to get, but he all of a sudden wanted no part of it. Once it actually got to the ground, and then he almost got knocked out in that fight. So it, again, maybe it's the weight cut. Maybe he is just so big that it takes a lot away from him to try and make 170. But uh, like you were saying before, maybe he's trying the Conor McGregor route, which is you cut massive amounts of weight earlier in your career to get the lower weight class belt before going up to your natural weight class to get that belt. Which would be interesting because he doesn't seem like the. He doesn't seem McGregor even before he came into the UFC. He showed his game plan of what he was going to do in Cage Warriors, where he got one title in the lower division, didn't defend it, went straight for the next title, champion versus champion, took that other title, and then peaced out. Mm-hmm. And then did the exact same thing when he came to the UFC. Yep. I mean, almost mirrored image of it. I don't really get the feeling from Hamzat that he would that that's necessarily he seems like a guy that's about like beating every I smash everybody all that kind of stuff but at the same time he has already come out and said that uh you know he's not planning on fighting for a long time that he's promised his mother those kinds of things same kind of stuff that we heard about uh Habib who retired early and so very so he very well could that's a good point I mean he's he very already well come out and says he doesn't want to fight Whitaker which I don't blame him Whitaker's a, a badass it's a tough fight for anybody but when you talk about double champ status, I don't think you can do it any other way. Like, you can't do it legitimately like other fighters. When you think of stringing together eight to ten wins, getting the belt, 
defending, then doing all of that again in another weight class, that's not realistic. So the only way you can do that is, is by taking that route, is by getting those matchups at the lower weight class, getting the belt, making it so that it's a champ versus champ fight, and then taking that. But, but I mean, any champion will tell you it's easier to get the belt than it is to defend it. I mean, I think there's probably a few exceptions. I think you could say Tony Ferguson, maybe Max Holloway, maybe some of these guys that had to take <laughs> the long route. There's always exceptions to the rule. There I mean, some of these guys that had to take the long route to get the belt, I think, um, might disagree. But that's, that's the only way I can realistically seeing double champ status happening, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, even, uh, even Daniel Cormier, right? Um, he was, the, he, he got the strike force grand prix championship. Um, he had some fights at heavyweight, but he, he didn't get the belt in the UFC at heavyweight. He dropped down to 205, um, tried to go for it. Um, had the obstacles with John Jones, ended up getting the belt once Jones was, out, Jones was out of the picture, um, but then didn't have to go back up to heavyweight and run the gauntlet to get the belt. It was the champ versus the champ. And yes, he did technically defend both of these belts, but again, he didn't have to go through the ascension in two weight classes to get there. That's true. And I think that's the only way that you can do it. I would agree. I think that's, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, speaking about ways not to do it, let's talk about Ferdinand Lopez and Ali <laughs> <laughs> Abdelaziz and, and their horse shit. Um, so for those of you that don't know, really quick week recap, Ferdinand Lopez, um, the coach and trainer of Cyril Ghosn, former coach, trainer of um, Francis Ngannou, um, him and Ali Abdelaziz, the fucking rat manager of MMA. Uh, <laughs> fucking rat bastard. <laughs> um, they've been going at it because uh, Lopez has a um, fighter. I forget what exactly what his name is. He is um, the heavyweight champion of Lopez's fight promotion. But not only that, but um, Lopez has put a lot of money and time into training this guy, into getting him um, up to the top. And... It, you know, of his promotion, and he's just signed a new deal with Lopez, a uh, three-fight uh, contract to continue to fight in Lopez's promotion. And the UFC tried to get him to come in and fight in the UFC. Uh, Ali tried to work on behalf of this notion and help bring the fighter into the UFC. Lopez didn't want the fighter to go because, like, not only did he say that he just signed this new contract, but he spent a lot of time and money into not just training the guy, but the guy lived, lived with him. Supposedly he's given the guy a lot of money. He feels like this guy owes him to some extent and he wants, you know, to sort of get this finished between him and um, the fighter before the fighter ends up going to the UFC and having a whole career over there. Probably, you know, from, the whole incident that happened with Francis Ngannou, he's probably a little bit more yep. hesitant about letting those kind of things happen. So these guys are having a verbal conflict that has now uh, come out into the public arena in a big part, thanks to Lopez again. Um, but yeah, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, just from history, what, we've, what we saw with the whole Francis Ngannou situation, right? I mean, you could see it from Lopez's... Uh, point of view, he doesn't he doesn't want to go through that again, right? And not only does he have a lot of invested, but this is a champion in his organization, right? And, uh, and not that 
we get to see the behind the scenes and how a lot of this has has gone out between uh, these characters but what has been made public i mean it it's it makes ali look like a, a shady rat but a lot of the stuff that we see him do it makes him look exactly like that so that's not a surprise no. right that 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 makes a lot of sense you do i'm, I'm sure the fighter eventually wants to probably make a, a transition to the UFC as most of them do it is the premier organization for MMA and so you know they do eventually want to make it but again they've got the cautionary tale of of Francis Ngannou right and for whatever disagreements Ngannou may have had with Lopez which made him leave but again you have to look at how the UFC tried to do Francis Ngannou when he started talking about fighter pay, when he started talking about wanting to go to boxing, things that probably should be available to a fighter. Um, and, and they're not, not when you're with the UFC. So maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want to go to the UFC now. And again, Zero Gone was another party in this as well, being another one of Lopez's fighters. And I don't feel like for whatever unwritten rules there are between managers, I feel like that's a really shitty thing to try to do, to try to, you know, steal a fighter like that from somebody that's brought him up and put that time and money into it and has made him a champion in their organization and promotes them and, you know, does all that for them. So, yeah, I mean, I would have to be in this particular situation on Lopez's side, I'm not knowing everything, but... But that, that would be my take on it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, and all those are good points, and I don't disagree with any of that. I guess my overall perspective of it is, like, uh, you know, I've already kind of gone and described my feelings toward, Al, you know, Ali Abdelaziz. Um, I've watched from a long time in the sport. I remember when he was, you know, the second part of the, you know, controlling the promotion of the PFL um, with, and doing all that, um, the, you know, his history coming out, um, of him being an informant, telling on all of his people where I come from, I don't have any respect for people like that. Um, on top of that, a lot of the fact that he works so well hand in hand with the UFC, the UFC is notorious for, you know, paying their fighters some of the least. I mean, yes, we know all about that um, as far as they have the biggest promotion, you have the biggest eyes, you can build your brand, yada, yada, all that's to be said. I think the argument as far as fighter pay in a nutshell always comes back to if you're the number one promotion and you're making the most money and you have the best fighters in the world fighting in your promotion, they should be making the best money in that, you know, out of the sport. That's my own viewpoint in a nutshell. We'll be able to talk more about this in length as it comes up because it's just a reoc- another reoccurring yeah. thing that happens. Um, but, you know, with Ali having his questionable history as to, as to his character, all those kinds of things, him being able to work so well with the UFC and, you know, be a good manager, quote-unquote good manager, um, makes me feel like he probably undercuts a lot of his fighters, has no problem doing that. That's why the UFC gives him the kind of bones that they give him. Um, and then you got Lopez, who... I really didn't know much about him, to be honest with you, before the whole Nganu-Gan fight. But when that happened, you know, him being the former coach, trainer, and manager of Francis, 
whatever happened between him and Francis went sour, whatever happened, it is what it is. I'm not here to weigh in on that. But at the same time, to have a fighter that you have that coach-fighter relationship with and, you know, come out into the media and to not only downplay Francis to the level he did, but to go out before the fight and talk about all of his weaknesses, you know, from the sport. I mean, it really made it look like to me, like not only is that something that looks bad on the whole coach to fighter relationship and and keeping that kind of between them, but it also kind of showed me like, hey, you guys are getting ready to go into this title fight. Obviously, you must not be very confident or or you have a lot of confidence in Francis because you're out here trying to sling mud on him in every every way you can from his, you know, talking about his fighting style and where he's weak at and how people can beat him and all this and stuff. And I really didn't have a lot of respect for the guy for that. You know, you can feel however you want to feel about the thing. And I don't say you got to be friendly or anything about it. But at the same time, if you develop that kind of relationship where you have a trainer and you have somebody who's learning the fight game, if something ends up happening at some point and stuff goes south, I don't expect you to bring all of that out to the media, much less all those kinds of, you know, um, critical, being so uh, verbally critical of the fighter, being the former coach, really, really left a bad taste in my mouth. So now we have this situation where Lopez is feeling like he's getting the short end of the stick, Ali's trying to snake somebody, and all I can do is kind of laugh at it because... I don't know. I really don't have much respect or admiration for either of these two. So, so I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think, I think that kind of behavior is very telling, right? Um, and again, not that I've ever been a fighter, but you watch these fighter interviews. You people that have sparred together in the past have had to come and fight. Friends have to fight sometimes, and that always seems to be one of those unwritten rules, like. Like, hey, this you know that was that was sparring. These were closed sparring sessions. This was training. Like, yeah, what happens in the like, gym stays in exactly, the gym. Exactly, exactly. Right. So I, I do feel like it's very telling as far as your character, um, what how far you're willing to go in a situation like that. You're obviously salty about whatever happened to make that go bad, and maybe that's maybe that's your right, but that's not how that's not how you you treat it, and think about all of think about all of the other fighters you represent and her fighting for your promotion. What does that show them? You know, is he going to do that to me if I decide I want to go with a different management or if I want to try to fight in a different organization, you know, these are, these are all things you have to look at. And, and when you look at how a lot of these fights go down, when, you know, someone's like, Oh, well, you know, remember in sparring when I knocked you out? Like these people ended up usually losing their fights. Again, Cyril gone, lost that fight. No, he didn't get knocked out. But for all the shit you were talking about, all the skills that Francis and Gunna didn't have, guess what fucking skill Cyril gone didn't have that he needed in order to win that fight, and it wasn't there for him. And Ngannou knew. Yeah. And that's why he got to walk away with the win. Yeah. And exactly. and uh, you know, I just. All that stuff, like I said, I I think it's very telling about the, the type of character of a person. And if you want to, if you want to keep that champion you've got in your organization, you probably should have handled that with a little bit more fucking tact than than you did in that one. Exactly, and uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, the next part that we were going to talk about was uh, the whole McGregor Bisbing situation that's recently <laughs> yeah. coming to the media. Yeah. 
Um, this was more, I thought, was funny and kind of like, who knows, between McGregor being, you know, living in whatever reality he's living in, Biz being Not my one of reality. <laughs> my neither, my neither. I mean, nobody but his own. Let's be yeah. honest. Very few people live in the reality where McGregor lives. You know, um, but uh, you know, Biz being being one of these fighters, uh, this you know recent trend of former fighters becoming commentators, being a mouthpiece. Um, and having to use that kind of create a whole personality and that clashing with fighters because fighters are like, hey, we're fighters. What do you, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. There was, there's, there's elements to all that with this. My whole viewpoint, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I don't know if you heard the, you know, McGregor left him the one voice message and then deleted it where he's like, you want to go to war? <laughs> and then, and then, and then he, and then he left him, uh, you know, a voicemail the next day where he was using his, uh, like American accent. Dude, when I heard that, like it threw me off. So like at first, like they were like, yeah, this is a McGregor. This is McGregor leaving this message. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, this isn't McGregor. It sounds like just some fucking, you know, yeah. dude from the U.S. And then you could kind of tell with some of the stuff he was saying, you could hear the accent. And I was like, oh, that is him. And I was like, oh, that's his like American accent, you know? Yeah. And it just totally threw me off. And that's why I wanted to bring it up is because uh, he was like, you know, the whole the whole, his whole, what he was saying, what McGregor was saying, essence was like, it was all an act and I was being an actor, yet here he is using his American accent to say that it's all an act. So is it really an act? That's that whole McGregor thing, you know? But, yeah. uh, but this is coming from the guy who's going to be in the new Roadhouse remake, just so you know, as far Roadhouse. as acting goes. <laughs> Fucking, but yeah, in, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get real opinionated here. Um, <laughs> do it. I, I I think I think Bisping could come out of the booth today and beat the shit out of Conor McGregor. Well, yeah. Like it's so. I mean, he's like a couple weight divisions above yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and 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 Bisping was always with one eye. Yeah, that's I, I I do I have I have respect for Bisping. <clears throat> um, he may not have always been my favorite fighter throughout the years, but um, but he he paid his dues. He's he he went through the ringer. Um. He got, you know, a golden opportunity, and he took full advantage of it. Uh, props to him for um, being able to walk away, being a former champ. Um, but this is a guy that put a lot of time in the octagon. He put a lot of blood and sweat in the octagon. And this is a guy who took a lot of fights against questionable competition, whether they may have been on shit and they shouldn't have been when it was looked the other way. Or they were definitely on shit. Or they were definitely on <laughs> shit. But, um, but, yeah, so, again... It, Come to where we're at today. I like him as a commentator. Um, I yeah. So I I'm I'm fully on Bisping's side <laughs> as far as this goes. And you know you can say what you want about Connor. He's had a good time and he's made a, a shitload of money. I mean you can put him up with the all time greats just because of what he was able to do in such a short period of time. Yeah. And you can give him the whole you know champ champ status. Um, but no, I've never thought that Conor McGregor was that good of a fighter. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and from what we've seen from Conor in just the past couple of years, it just seems like the more he loses, the more delusional he gets, doesn't yeah. it? Like, well, yeah, well, that's the thing about it. Like, the thing about it is, like, when you live, you see people like this, and it happens in all different realms, not just combat sports, but anybody that can transcend to that kind of level of fame and notoriety...
it does something to the brain where like you, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive the world you live in. I mean, a lot of people never come back with their feet on the ground. Right. They, they go up and they just stay up and that's the end of that, you know? And, um, I, and I can't really like begrudge him because to be honest with you, I've never been in his shoes. I never got to a point where I was that well known and, you know, that crazed having that kind of a following from all over the world, like some of these other, you know, super popular people. And I think that has something to do with the human mind. I just, I don't think that we were, you know, built for that. I don't think that we were built to be, you know, to have that kind of like weight on our shoulders or to have that kind of perception of ourselves yeah. projected by everybody else yeah. into the thing. I, I don't think it's healthy is my whole viewpoint with it. No. But um but needless to say, I thought it was funny and uh hats off to him and his American accent. <laughs> I, I I love that. As much as I love hearing Americans with like their European accent, I love it even more when I hear Europeans with their <laughs> like I love hearing people when they give their American accent. I'm just like, oh man, that's awesome. You is know? that what we really sound like? Yeah, it is. Oh, that is what we sound like. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, another thing that was kind of interesting in the in the combat sports news medium was uh, Bobby Green getting a six month suspension for taking over the counter um, vitamins, supplements, whatever from Walmart. Um, twenty. How is it in twenty twenty two? We can still have fighters at the top level of the UFC getting busted for these kinds of things. I mean, you know, we've had over and over so many examples of these fighters, Yo Romero, so many different people over and over about taking over the count, excuse me, over the counter supplements. So and what would happen? And so I mean it just how could this happen? So I, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, I really do. Um, but I do think it's kind of like two separate discussions, right? Because uh, Anytime you try to go to to any store, I mean, you, even even a GNC, and try to get any kind of supplements, the laws in this country regulating what these companies have to disclose uh, on their packaging are extremely the, lax. The non-laws, right? The non exactly yeah. right. The non-laws. The fact that there really isn't any criteria that determines what you get what you have to disclose on your label, what you don't have to put on there. So that that's one part of the discussion. But, but, to, but to absolve culpability to um, a fighter in the UFC, somebody that has access to the information and resources and nutritionists that somebody like Bobby Green has, I completely agree. How do you make this type of mistake? You know, you, you don't... Why is Bobby Green shopping at Walmart at all in the first place? And second of all, why that, did he that feel UFC like... fighter pay? You know that. I mean, okay. gonna... <laughs> all right, I'll give you that. But 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 come on, what would make you think that Walmart was the place to go to get your supplements? To get your supplements. I know, I know. That's my whole thing, especially with USADA. They got their whole band list. They got these are the ones we pres these are the ones that we prescribe that people yeah. take. This is you know, there's all these different supplement companies. There, dude, there has to be a supplement company that's reputable that would sponsor Bobby Green. I mean, he's got a name, yeah, you know? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's up there. I mean, so it's just, that's more of my viewpoint is just like, I mean, and it's not necessarily, it's not, I'm not like trying to critique Bobby because I love Bobby Green and when it happened and he was just like, yeah, I mean, I took some shit at Walmart and what are you going to do? It's my fault. I was just like, that's, that's such a Bobby Green thing. So like, in no way am I really like coming down on Bobby about it, but more so like, 
I guess kind of to the UFC with them being so stringent on this drug policy and we're and that's another one of those subjects we're going to get into at some point um drug testing and it's effective or ineffectiveness um in the sport but you know how is it that at least they're not you know doing something to help their their fighters especially the fighters that have that kind of name the headline events and stuff how are they not like hey your headline events who do you get your supplements from here's some we'll send you supplements trying to mitigate this kind of thing happen i mean they've got more money than you know than a lot of other promotions so how is it that you know, even then, they're still letting this kind of stuff happen. And I know they only gave him a six-month uh, suspension, which is way better than when you saw it first came out. And it was like, oh, strike one, that's a year, you know? At least, and, yeah. And, and so, I mean, six months, you know, it's not the end of the world. But at the same time, it's well, just... And, it, and so they, they, they do this thing where these suspensions are retroactive, right? And since you probably only fight a couple of times a year anyway, it's not even really a suspension because... His six-month suspension, and we're just finding about out about this now. This came out in the past week, and he's eligible to fight again in November. So he's got a month left on his six-month suspension, which means it was six months retroactive from his in-competition um, specimen that was tested, which would have been his last fight, which would have been last summer or, or this summer, whichever way you want to look at it. But and and what so, was his last fight? Wasn't it was Islam? Was that who he fought last? No, that didn't happen, huh? Was no, supposed to fight Islam? no, that did not go yeah, through. Yeah, and since they and and, and this that's where be, they busted him, just because that was supposed to happen, and then he got kicked off or whatever. Well, and this could be why that fight didn't materialize. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly why? Because they don't, they're not at liberty to discuss any potential violations with the public anymore. So, again, as we go on and do these podcast in the future <laughs> definitely another topic to touch on yeah. in the future that's going to keep coming up yeah. um, we, we could have it's one of those topics we could have a whole show just around that time and we and if we ever get some of these um weeks where we don't have a whole lot of fights we may yeah we exactly may. and if it hits the news and polarizes the news we may so oh, <laughs> um speaking about um you know mishaps in the weight divisions and stuff aspen lad uh, you know, has signed with the PFL. Good for her. They, you know, can definitely use a talent like Aspen Ladd over there. Um, but at the same time, you know, missing weight two, maybe three times now. Um, major concerns and issues with what's happening there. Why is that? Why? Why is this still happening? And now she signed to the PFL. I'm happy for. Her. I'm happy to see her fighting the PFL. See her compete over there. I don't think she's the same weight division as Kayla Harrison, but close, and that's a potential match that could happen. Um, so would be interesting, and I'd like to see it. But at the same time, I guess more so, like, I guess I have more concern for Aspen Ladd at this point now with missing the weight as much right. as she has and right. the issues with her and her coach and all those kinds of things. And so, um, and it's not my place. It's not my place to say, like, that there's an issue or something needs to happen. It's just like... You see that you see like this what looks like an you know car accident that we're coming up on you know missing away missing away missing away now she's in another weight division or another fight promotion. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think about all of it? I I mean on on the surface, I know that what um, female MMA fighters go through to drop weight or make weight is. Um, is, is different than what a male fighter has to go through. I, I think it's a, 
um, slightly different uh, situation. I think in certain areas, it's certainly more difficult for them. However, we have fight card after fight card after fight card where women make weight, right? So she's, she's the odd woman out here. And for whatever shortcomings she has in her trading, whatever shortcomings she has as far as her nutritionist goes, or I've, I've seen this before, sometimes they just don't take it seriously. And, you know, so what? I'll drop some of my purse. I'll still get to fight. Not a huge deal. I mean, you can see where the UFC has made exceptions for other fighters. Problem is, Aspen Ladd isn't one of those fighters. She's yeah. not that type of fighter. She's not a big draw. She's not blowing people away. And um, I know that the PFL doesn't have as strong of a women's division, but I, I don't see her taking, um, I don't see her taking gold at PFL either. Well, especially if, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know. I, th- I would like to see the match with her versus Kayla Harrison, but I mean, Kayla Harrison's a kind of force, you know, she's yeah. kind of her own right there. I mean, until we see her fight, like, you know, a Nunez or a cyborg or one of those kind of people is kind of like, eh, you know, just keep feeding I, I like people. It. No, I, that's, I like it right where she's at. And I think, I think it's good for her to be there. And, and if she was smart and she was thinking about a switch the UFC in the future, behind the scenes, she'd be working on all these different parts of her game um, in the meantime, so that when she came over and these girls think they can take her down, they're going to be in for a rude awakening and they're going to get knocked the fuck out, man. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. I I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, speaking of younger fighters with uh, promise, we had Bo Nichols making his way up the... Excited to talk about Bo. Yeah, yeah. making his way up the fucking um, Dana White Contender Series. Um, everybody at this point knows about Bo. He's probably got one of the most hype, biggest hype trains right now in the sport. Um, you know, we've heard talk about, they already want to see him versus Israel and all that (laughs) nut job. I I can't not laugh when I hear that. I know. Um, my whole viewpoint I wanted to bring this up was I, we talked about it during the contender series when it happened. And now that it's over, it's even more to bring up. What I really like about the whole Bo Nichols situation is how the UFC kind of marketed Bo Nichols through the Dana White Contender Series. Mm -hmm. They took this guy, had a lot of promise. They put him in there. He went right through the, you know, did exactly what he was supposed to. And instead of taking him and putting him automatically in the UFC, they were like, hey, let's hold up. Let's have him fight at the end of the series. We'll mm-hmm. have him fight in the very last main event mm-hmm. of the season finale. Put him in there against another guy. He demolished that guy like he did. Leaves this anticip- anticipation. Gets more people talking about it. You double up the buzz. Really like the way of how they did that with it. Not only did it do good for Bo Nichols, obviously, because he's in the video game. He They're putting him in the <laughs> UFC video oh, game. And there's fighters <laughs> that you know are like that have been fighting for a long time or going for a title shot like uh, Alex Pereira, uh, uh, Alex, yeah, Alex uh, Pereira. Pereira, who isn't even it. in the, yeah, isn't I even, isn't even in the video game, <laughs> but, um, but no, but I digress. Um, not only did it work well for the marketing of Bo Nichols, but then it was like a double rub because then it took the Dana White Contender Series and more people were viewing the Dana White Contender Series than they have before, so much so that now everybody's talking about, oh, is this going to be on ESPN now? Or are you guys going to put this on a bigger platform? It was more people watching it than just blah, 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 blah. 
it was kind of like, you know, the way that they marketed that, the way that they did that, where they took a star, they built the star up at mm -hmm. the same time, building up the brand of the show. Hats off. Just really appreciate that. I, I agree that the UFC has done um, quite a few things right throughout their long history. Um, and the ultimate fighter may not be what it used to be as far as bringing up the next generation of fighters. But at one point, it was. And we have a lot of champions to show from those early tough seasons. Um, and now they've switched to this contender series format, and they're doing it again. They're doing a great job, like you said. And it works, like you said, it works both ways. When you get somebody big, it draws viewers to the contender series and also hypes whatever prospects that they've got on there. And I do think the state of MMA right now is that the contender series is producing the better fighters than the tough? Because the, the, the tough is still around. It, it is. Yeah. It, and I'm still watching it. And I like the last um, few seasons winners. I, I really do. And I, I hope that they continue to improve. Um, I like. I really like Ricky Tercios. Um, I really like Brian Battle. Yeah, I think they're no, good guys. Yeah, exactly. I like watching them fight. I really hope they do um, go somewhere. But I don't think they were up against the same caliber of fighters on their season as um, the contenders are when they're fighting each other in the contender series. Yeah. So I think you're breeding better fighters that way. No, I agree. And I think, uh, I think that even adds more to the matchmaking of the UFC where contender series, they take a, you know, a group of fighters on one side and another group of fighters and they kind of match them up as they go. What I've seen with a lot of the matchmaking in the last, I would say year, maybe couple of years, even of, Kind of like since the pandemic, a little bit after the pandemic, their matchmaking has been really on point. They take they do a lot of good job of taking this fighter, matching with that fighter, and creating a lot of um, interest, a lot of good um, outcomes as far as you know within the fight itself, based on the matchmaking. And so um, maybe that has part of it to do with it. Hats off to Sean Shelby and for uh, doing those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I, I definitely think that the tough, you know, um, the tough uh, structure was good for getting people, getting fighters into the UFC and getting them more familiar with the news media and a lot of those kind of elements that you don't get with just fighting in lower promotions or in, in, in independent promotions. So that was good for it. And I still think it's good. But I think that this contender series is even better because there's so much riding on this fight and they do a good job of matching up this opponent versus that opponent. I mean, if you can get through the contender series and win, and especially that they put the pressure on them where you have to perform, like it's not just winning. If right. They have fighters that will go through and win and they'll win lackluster fights and they just like condemn them. They just bury them right, right. there on the show and right. be like, nope, we're not doing this. I'm not giving any contracts out. If this is going to happen, we're not doing this. So not only do you got to come in there and perform for everybody watching and all of that, but you got to, you got to overperform. You got to show that, you know, you got to leave no, no doubt as to your skill set. Right. So, so, and, and you said it. So the win, a win in the contender series isn't a win. What's a win in the contender series is the UFC contract. Yeah. So you can win a, a contender series fight and not get your contract. So ergo, you actually you didn't really win because you probably didn't get paid a whole lot for a contender series fight. I couldn't see. That and then you're back on the regional scene. You're back on the independent promotions. So yes, I, I would agree, and I think the performances show it. You get people going in there and going all out because 
um, yeah, you perform well on the contender series, then you get a contract. Um, and then really quick, um, ending out the hot takes, hats <laughs> off to uh, Tom Hardy Fucking for winning the dude. 2022 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Open. I mean, who who would have thought that? It was so funny because just, you know, I had seen this TikTok <laughs> of him so... wrestling, of him, not wrestling, him, you know, rolling with this guy, jiu-jitsu with this guy. And I sent you the I sent you the clip and you responded back. You were like, was this from the wrestler? Was this from some, you know, thing he's doing for acting? Is this like some kind of physical yeah. thing? And and I don't know. I was just I found this TikTok. I was like, is that Tom Hardy? It is Tom Hardy. So I sent it to you and I was just like, yeah, like I don't know. And then, you know, like a couple weeks later, I'm just, you know, checking TikTok again and it's like there's a, you know, a tweet that congratulations to him winning the 2022, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Open. And I'm just like, man, hats off to Tom Hardy. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And and for not making a big deal out of it, not for making it public, literally just shows up at the 2022 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Open and starts and starts submitting people. Like, uh, man, I cannot imagine the opponent, his opponent for that when you're going in there it's the it's just a jiu-jitsu open not a big deal i mean not not that it's not a big deal it's a big deal but it's not a big deal as far as like in the you know whole public sphere there's not a lot of people watching it even people like us that like combat sports and are hardcore fans we're not a lot of the time watching those kinds of things and you could just imagine somebody going in just to try to refine their skill and see where they're at. And you're looking at Tom Hardy across me and you're just like, (laughs) wait a minute, this dude looks like Tom Hardy. And then they're like, okay, it's Tom Hardy. And you're like, is it, is it really Tom Hardy? I mean, I mean, I'm sure that that played some kind of uh, effect into his opponent's head because I know, I I mean, I don't train jujitsu, but if I was facing Tom Hardy and not expecting to be facing Tom Hardy and we're rolling, I'd be thinking like, dude, I'm rolling with Mad Max. This is the fucking Reverend right here. Motherfucking, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's I, crazy. I do. I do. And you know, you, it's, yeah, I, nothing but, nothing but respect for that because, yeah, exactly. you know, it, again, this, nobody knew he was training for this. Nobody knew that he was planning on, you know, going out to this. And this is a guy who's, who's very popular. He's yeah. in the public eye yeah. and for very him, established. Yeah, exactly. nothing to prove. And, and for him to get away with making it all the way there before anyone even knew what the fuck was going on is a feat in itself. And um, then win it. And then still not even after it. he win and not and even after win he win, he's not like out there beating his chest. It's not Tom Hardy who's posting on his thing. Like I'm the, I'm the fucking champion. It's literally other people. It's like, this is something the dude always, you know, comes off in his interviews and stuff as a really humble down to earth type dude. And this even goes to show it where he's like, I did this just for me. Like I wanted to do it. I wanted to see what happened and I won and cool. And I do. And I do believe that he, he did it just for him. Yeah. Um, so that the movie uh, Warrior, I believe, was the one that he did with Joel Edgerton. And I know he did a lot of training. This is a guy that puts every bit of himself into these characters that he portrays. And so I, I knew that he put a lot into that, but that was years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was years ago that he did that. Part and of a decade, probably. Exactly, exactly. And so I'm sure that he got a taste for it, and I'm sure that, you know, in his time, he was, you know, getting some good instruction. But but again, you can absolutely tell this is something he did for him. Exactly, exactly. Cool. So um, let's uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, spotlight, a couple of fights, real quick. Um, there's a lot of fights to get signed. Um, I'm sure you know everybody hears about them here on this show. If there's some that stand out to us and we want to bring it up, 
what add any kind of context or just mainly just to show off to be like this is one you don't want to miss that's what this section of the show is so first off we got rda versus brian barberina big fight so what do you think? Yeah, and, and this is um, you know this is an official fight. This is actually signed. This will ha- this will happen, um, and you know barring any injury or you know egregious weight miss. Um, and just to preface this by like you know I'm just like you. I'm always on forums. I'm always looking for you know the the back alley news and shit like this. So I like hearing about um, new matchups when they come to fruition like this. Um, I. I don't think it's a great fight for RDA. I think he's an undersized 170-pounder. I think Brian Barberina is a fighter's fighter. Like, I think he's as tough as they come. I think he hits hard. And I, I, I don't think there's any easy avenue to victory over Brian Barberina at all. No. I mean, you might get the win, but it ain't going to be easy. No. And I, at this stage in RDA's career... Again, not being a natural 170-pounder, I don't see how he gets this done. Yeah. The only thing I could think is, you know, kind of what we talked about before with him, slowing it down, pushing him up against the cage, trying to control him, really testing out Barbarina's, um, you know, overall grappling ability. But, I mean, even it's not that's not going to be an easy way and, to win. And he's, so. he's going to have to, and that's not going to be a pretty win if that's the way he does it. The problem, the problem is I don't even think this can be... Um, a wall and stall clinch battle. Barbarina's dirty boxing, his clinch battle is so good that I think RDA is going to take too much damage in close like that. I think this is going to have to be takedowns in the middle of the ring and, you know, working his top game to advance position, maybe tire him out and get a submission or maybe land enough um, ground and pound to open him up. But, but again, that doesn't usually happen. Like you can you can beat on Brian Barberina. That's not going to open shit up. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't. My my pick is Barberina in this fight. Uh, yeah, I agree hundred percent with with everything you said there. Uh, another potential fight hasn't been signed, but a potential fight is uh, Jeff Neal versus Shavkat Rachmanov, and uh, they both agreed to the fight. It hasn't been announced as an official fight, but man, when we talk about potential fireworks i mean jeff neal versus Sofcott. i mean yeah dude like you know like i'm just like man i don't know i kind of go back and forth with my head i'm like oh Sofcott, he has you know probably a little bit of the height and the reach he'd probably be able to you know kind of keep his distance i'm like dude then there's jeff neal you know all he needs is a couple of punches to put it on him and we're really going to test rock men off in this so i mean i'm I'm excited for this fight. And not that it's happening, but it has been agreed to. So Verbally agreed to, no official contract signed, no date set, no event, you know, that they've been put on. Um and honestly, before the Jeff Neal Vicente Luque fight, I would have one hundred percent put my money on Shavkat. Um, but Jeff Neal showed up in that Luque fight and he, and he put it on Luque and, and he fucked Luque up. And if that Jeff Neal shows up to fight Shavkat, I, I agree with you. I think about have fireworks. Fight. I think that's a fucking brawl. I think they're going to be bloody. And that's the most recent version of Jeff Neal. It is. Too, so it is. I, I just, I don't know what he went through for those few lackluster performances before he got to Vicente. But yes, as long as he's on that track, uh, I completely agree. I don't even want to try and pick a winner in that nope. fight. Nope. Big fan of both. Hope to make that fight. If they do, I cannot wait to see that. 
that will be definitely a fight that we will be talking about in the future. Um, all right, so let's move to the final section of our show. We made it. UFC 280. So we got uh, UFC Fight Night. Uh, two. Uh, oh, you're going to the fight. Okay. Yeah, right. Fight Night. Yeah. My bad. I no, 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 I know. We're going to get to 280. I'm fucking we got so a couple, excited about 280. I know. I know. We got a couple of weeks for 280. Right. I know. We're going to get there. Um, no, Fight Night uh, 212. It is coming up um, next weekend. Uh, main event, Alexa Grasso versus uh, Araujo. So what do you what do you think? Araujo, I, I can't I can't tell how you pronounce that. I, I, I think it's a good matchup. I, I, here we are again with another fight light fight night with the WMMA headliner. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see if this is a sign of things to come with these fight nights that don't necessarily have a lot of big names on them or aren't big draws if they start trying to showcase a lot more of these um, um, women's MMA fighters. Um, but if if I had to pick a winner between um, these two very talented fighters, um, I'd go with Vivian. I just think she's, I think she's a little bit stronger. I think she's a little bit more powerful. Nothing against uh, Grasso. I see it go into a decision and I see Vivian taking the decision. Yeah, no, I definitely think that uh, Smart Money's on Araujo 100%. Um, I do think, though, that, I mean, Grasso has some of the best boxing in the female mixed martial arts, uh, super talented, could very easily win this fight, could. Um, but I've just seen recently a lot of, um, you know, maybe the same kind of thing we were talking about before with Jeff Neal, mentally kind of not being there, a little checked out, um, maybe having some issues she's not addressing, um, just kind of not really like um, getting to that same potential where she was been at before. And so, um, yeah, I think that smart money would definitely be on Vivian. Um, Cub Swanson, longtime veteran. He's going to uh, be the co-main event against Jonathan Martinez. That's going to be a great fight. I look forward to that. Um, and what's funny is on the fight before that, we've got um, uh, <coughs> Brandon Royval, who I sometimes get confused with Jonathan Martinez. They look similar. Oh, and and um, Brandon Royval trains out of Denver. Um, he's had some pretty good fights. And um, I'm really looking forward to him fighting on here too. And so, um, and so, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm excited for this card. Not only that, but we also got uh, Misha Serkinov is fighting on the card. Um, you know, uh, Rafael Sunsau still in there, still you know, mm -hmm. gonna give it give it a go. I mean, there's a lot of other fighters on this card. So like, what what are you thinking? Uh, you know, a lot of these fights can be broken down to the ascending fighter and the descending fighter, right? Yeah. Um, Sirkinov and Menafield. Um, Sirkinov probably on the descent, Menafield on the upswing. Doesn't mean Sirkinov can't win this fight, but momentum is on Alonzo's side, and yeah, he's he's my he's my pick. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm excited for any Cub Swanson fight, but I'm actually really excited for the Royville um, Askar, Askarov fight. I really enjoy watching Brandon Royville fight. He's one of those guys that I like watching his entrances. He's a guy that likes to fight. He's he's excited. Constantly going for it. He is. He's constantly going for it. He's been on a skid lately, though. Um, and um, Askarov's a real clean, technically sound fighter. I think if if Brandon Royville can create enough of those. Um, 
like dirty scrambles or wild brawls, I think he has a better chance of taking it. But I'm I'm I think Askarov's gonna, gonna take this fight. I think it's gonna be too clean. I think he's too good. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I expect, expect him to be fighting for a title before too long, honestly. No, once again, once again, smart money's definitely on Askarov. Um you know, um, being a fan of MMA sometimes, you know, that means thinking with uh, not the logical part of your brain. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I definitely a uh, big fan of, of Ray Vell. I and, would be so stoked if he won. Yeah, I would be yeah, I know, so happy. I know. And so I'll be pulling for him. I, I Me think, too. I Me think too. that Askar is going to have it. But it's just like the main event where I would definitely favor Vivian. But I'm a big Grasso fan. If she can come out there and, you know, look like she's put those pieces together, she's going to be putting those pieces all over Vivian. So, um, so yeah, so that's the fight night that we have next weekend. And But also next weekend, we have BKFC 31 from Denver, Colorado. Oh, shit. Represent. And um, the main event of that card is uh, Mike Richmond, former longtime Bellator fighters, fought a lot of other um, MMA organizations. He's fighting uh, Doolittle. We also have some other MMA vets as far as uh, Brandon Gritz. Um, he's a... Uh, I remember. I remember Brandon Gritz. Yep. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's fighting Lindsay. Uh, Brandon Gritz fought... Um, he's fought uh, Melvin Guillard. Yeah. He's fought... Um, yeah. there's, he's fought some other guys. Yeah. Um, and so he's fighting on the card. Um, we also have on here... Uh, Chris Camozzi. Uh, Chris Camozzi is, right. is going to be fighting in BKFC. So uh, that, that'd be good. And uh, another former MMA fighter is Josh Copeland. So oh, wow. yeah, so yeah. once again, a uh, lot of lot of fights I'm gonna be interested in watching on the BKFC card. The fact that they're you know coming from Colorado, which is where we're coming from as well, um, different part of the state still. Um, I'm really excited, man. Really excited for this card. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to make sure I set aside some time to watch that as well. Um, but this is exactly what I was talking about. This is the niche that uh, bare knuckle fighting championships fills. You know, it, it, it's a place for these guys that maybe can't compete in the premier organization, but they still want to fight. They still got a lot of fight left in them. And again, the nature of a bare knuckle fight is not the same as a boxing match or an MMA no, fight. No, it, no, it's its own sport. It yeah. is. It, it, it's its it, own it, deal. It really is. It, the The techniques have to change. You know, mm. you don't have any gloves. Um, your strategy has to change. This isn't. This isn't like the other organizations are going to be watching. Yeah. And it's not like a lot of MMA or even in kickboxing and stuff where you can really work the ring to your advantage or disadvantage. I mean, it's a small, it's almost a smaller circle. They got to toe up, get right on it, get right into the phone booth from the beginning. Yep. That plays a different part in the fight, you know? Um, yeah. All of that, all of that. So, yeah. yeah. So it should be good. So that's it, man. But episode one done. All right, we're going to wait till next week to talk about 280. Yeah, yeah. This has been Snapcast. Thank you for listening.